This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We understand there's, there's some kind of health issue going on right now. We're going to have to look into that. No, in spite of it all, we are trying to maintain our sense of humor. I think that's, I think we could all profit from, you know, keeping a stiff upper lip. And if possible, you know, keep a joke or two on the front burner. In fact, we've got a couple right here. These are actually memes that are going around along with the, you know, plethora of information, good and bad. This one was sent to us from our Australian correspondent. The spread of COVID-19 is based on two factors. One, how dense the population is. Two, how dense the population is. <laughs> one of our missions today is to clear away some of the bogus information that is being distributed as best we can. There's no shortage of it. Let's do another little bit of humor. We're about three weeks into the uh, sheltering in place here in the Bay Area, which was at the forefront of American sheltering in place, thanks to our local health officials. After three weeks, someone decided to send this one around. Osama bin Laden was living with three wives in one compound, and he never left the house for five years. Pause. It is now believed that he called the U.S. Navy SEALs. <laughs> and since we are going to make an effort to, uh, you know, be journalists here and get some good information out, we also have to cite another meme sent to us by Edward McMillan. Quoting an Arlene Myers Fields, it was said, First, they came for the journalists, and I did not speak out because I was not a journalist. We have no idea what they did after that. And, you know, we're a little bit afraid of that sort of thing. There is a PR battle going on in this country for the hearts and minds of the citizenry. And although we're trying to postpone our foray into politics till later in the program, I, I do have to start with this, I think. KUOW in Seattle, a national public radio station, announced this week it would no longer air the president's coronavirus briefings live because its journalists could not correct Trump's false statements and exaggerations fast enough. It is imperative that they are fact-checked, which is a challenge during a live broadcast. They deny that the decision was politically based. The NPR affiliate explained that allowing Trump to use its platform failed to serve listeners and may have risked the community's health and safety. Reporters would continue to cover briefings and report on them in the format most useful to our listeners, said the station. We here at Radio Parallax applaud this move. The president's briefings appear to be little more than pep rallies for the 2020 election campaign. But we'll have more to say about that later. Let's, let's see if we can find some good news in the middle of all of this. And, and there is some. One of the key statistical factors we are still trying to get a handle on is what is the percentage of people who have coronavirus that remain asymptomatic? Everyone is hoping, of course, that it will be at least as many as people who get sick. Be nice if it was even more than that. Because that would mean that you would take these death rates and divide them by well, if it's one-to-one, -one, you'd cut them in half. If we were lucky enough to have it be two-to-one, well, then you'd cut them by two-thirds. Unfortunately, as reported on Radio Parallax last week, it was looking as though three different data points were showing a much smaller number. Korea's chief 
physician in charge of the South Korean response to the pandemic, put the number at 20%, which was disturbing because in Korea they tested quite a bit. Unlike in America, which, according to our latest reports, are still, at least in the Bay Area region, or I'm getting a direct report from a little south of the Bay Area, they're only testing people who appear quite sick. So when in Korea they say that there was basically only 20% of a number of asymptomatic patients for the numbers that were sick, well, that would mean you'd only reduce those death rates by 17%, which is disturbing. This was also backed up by a study of the Diamond Princess cruise ship passengers that derived a rate of something like 18% asymptomatic for those who got sick. There was also a third study based on Japanese nationals who had been evacuated from Wuhan that put their rate at something like 30% asymptomatic for the number of people who got sick. Now, from a, from a spread standpoint, you know, having a large number of asymptomatic people is bad news. But in terms of reducing the death rate, you'd like to see it higher. So there's some encouragement by the fact that Iceland is setting out to test everybody in that country of only 300,000 people. The report we saw shows they've only gotten through 5% of the population right now, but they are just testing people in, we guess, a somewhat random fashion, not just those who are ill. Now, reading the article, it's clear that this is not really truly random. These are about 9,000 self-selected people so far that Amgen, or at least a subsidiary of Amgen, is testing in Iceland. Dr. Carl Stefansson, the company's founder, told CNN that around 50% of those who tested positive said they were asymptomatic. Said the doctor, keep in mind that the screening is now randomized but voluntary, so there is some bias in the data. The nice thing about studying people in Iceland is that the genetics of the Icelandic population is worked out to an extent uh, that no other nation can you know, lay claim to. So if there's a genetic component to how people respond, well, they should be able to make some of those determinations in Iceland. Iceland has not implemented any kind of lockdown. The officials say that more restrictive measures have not been needed because they were better prepared and armed with data to track the virus. So the director of health, we have pursued a very aggressive policy to quarantine individuals suspected to be at risk of having contracted the virus. They add, for much longer and at a higher scale than most other countries we are aware of. Iceland began its testing in early February, weeks before its first coronavirus-related death. Health officials have aggressively contact-traced and quarantined both confirmed and suspected COVID-19 cases. Government data shows there are 1,086 confirmed infections in Iceland, that's a few days old now, and 927 people currently in isolation while more than 5,000 have left quarantine. Said the Directorate of Health, the only reason we are doing better is that we were even more vigilant. We took seriously the news of epidemics starting in China. We didn't shrug our shoulders and say, this is not going to be anything remarkable. CNN noted that many have observed that Iceland's small population helps it to carry out wide-scale testing, but Dr. Stefansson disagreed, saying it's nothing to do with the size of the population. This has to do with how well prepared it was for the pandemic. He added that many developed countries have, quote, an amazing collection of talent, unquote, who could have industrialized tests like this a long time ago, but, quote, behaved like nothing was happening, unquote. 
Meanwhile, in the United States, Dr. Meanwhile, in the United States, President Donald Trump is denying that the memo sent to him in early January alluding to the possibility of trouble down the road was something that, well, apparently he never, he didn't read it. He, he missed it somehow. Anyway, let, let's stay in the good news department here as long as we can. A doctor friend of this program who was last seen at large in the Caribbean trying to make his way home sent an email asking, well, what's the math on the number of people who get sick who then die of coronavirus? Well, based on what we know here in California, if you feel pretty sick and you feel pretty lousy and you get tested, the odds are something like 93% you do not, in fact, have COVID-19. Now, if you do test positive for coronavirus, we have to guess what your death rate may be. Italy is experiencing currently the hair-raisingly high number of almost 13%. The raw number from around the world based simply on the raw number of deaths divided by the raw number of cases comes out to be 6%. It's hard to know what number we should ascribe to the true death rate, but let's pick 2%. It may be less than that. God, we hope so. But assuming a somewhat worst-case scenario, we hope, of 2%, multiplying that by the 7% possibility that if you feel sick that you actually have corona, you then come up with a fraction of 0.0014, which is odds of about 700 to 1. So, dear listener, take some solace in knowing that if you're feeling under the weather and think that you are getting sick, there's 699 chances out of about 700 that you're not going to die of coronavirus. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. (laughs) Yes, life is a gamble. And coronavirus is part of life. It's a gamble. But if every sick person out there is, in effect, playing Russian roulette, it's nice to know there's only one live round out of 700 instead of one live round out of, say, 50. All right, looking for good news. Uh, There's some news out of Johns Hopkins University. Peter Thielen, a molecular geneticist there, says that the virus seems to be showing a very slow rate of mutations. Technically, technically they note there are no more than 10 genetic differences between the strains that have infected people in the U.S. and the original virus that emerged in Wuhan. Peter Thielen notes that's a relatively small number of mutations for having passed through a large number of people. What this suggests, as he told the Washington Post, is that the vaccines developed for the coronavirus might be a single vaccine rather than a new vaccine every year like for the flu. A shot, thus, could potentially last a lifetime. That's assuming that you're going to get lifetime immunity from a shot, and that's, uh, that's by no means, uh, you know, established. Getting a lot of different diseases or a vaccine that, you know, generates immunity in a person can, in many cases, give you a lifetime of immunity. But in other cases, not so much, like, say, the common cold. As we pointed out on this program before, dear listener, you've undoubtedly had a coronavirus in the past, just the benign kind nobody paid any attention to back in the 20th century because it only gave you an upper respiratory infection. But it seems pretty clear that getting a cold from that type of coronavirus did not necessarily give you a lifetime of immunity to getting infected again. And there's some evidence here, tentative evidence, that perhaps some people that have tested positive might not have generated immunity, but studies continue. Here's an oddball story that's somewhat good news. The Economist magazine notes that the seven Formula One teams in Britain all have high-tech engineering centers stuffed with the latest production equipment. With their season suspended, 
They've been collaborating on ways to help produce ventilators, which are urgently needed to treat patients suffering from COVID-19. Last week, one team, Mercedes-AMG, obtained approval for a device which it can quickly manufacture by the thousands. The machine is not, in fact, a ventilator, but a breathing aid of the type known as Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, CPAP. These are typically used to assist people who have breathing problems to sleep more soundly. You undoubtedly know somebody who um, has you've been used CPAP to treat sleep apnea. Perhaps you've yourself. These machines deliver a slightly above atmospheric pressure via a face mask placed over the mouth and nose. This helps keep open the alveoli of the lungs, the sacs which absorb oxygen and also dump out carbon dioxide. That reduces the effort of breathing. Additional oxygen can also be added. According to reports from Italy, around half the patients given CPAP treatments have avoided the need for invasive mechanical ventilation in which a tube is inserted down a patient's throat. We, we hope this works out. That's, that's good news. And uh, the evidence is, seems pretty clear at this point that a lot of people who are infected with COVID-19 do, in fact, lose their sense of smell. And it's useful to have a marker like that. These charts people are sending around showing how you can distinguish the common cold from the flu, from asthma, from COVID-19 are of limited value given the tremendous amount of overlap. But apparently a bunch of British ear, nose, and throat specialists have researched this and they've logged patients with anosmia, a loss of smell, in the UK, South Korea, China, Iran, and Italy. And they found that in more than two-thirds and more than two-thirds of COVID-19 patients in Germany reported it. In Korea, they claimed it was a, a major presenting symptom for about 30% of otherwise mild cases. All right, there's some good news, and as, as, as more emerges as we go through the data, we'll try and stress those. But now for the bad news. The Trump administration is citing a model indicating that this whole thing is going to peak out around April 26th and it's going to get better from there out. And it will get better, and then it will get better after that. Now, computer models famously follow that, uh, that dictum of you know, garbage in, garbage out. We have no idea how to assess this model. We don't know anything about it. But just looking at the numbers, we don't know why they're saying that. In fact, there was a CNN story I can't put my hands on right now. It was disputing the White House modeling, saying that they don't see how it can be that good. Let's just take a, a brief detour into some of the numbers. We predicted, although I'm not sure I actually said this on the air, that we would very possibly have a million cases in America by Easter. But things have lightened up a little bit. Seems pretty certain we will not have a number that high as we've just crossed the 400,000 threshold. We will certainly get to a half million, maybe 600,000. And that has to be thought of as good news. But the death rate here in America continues to run at 3.4%. The Germans were getting all sorts of uh, pats on the back for their low numbers of death and relatively low numbers of cases. But over the past week or two, the Germans seem to be catching up. And of course, this disease does does take some time to finish someone off that's uh, in a bad way. To make a long story short, Germany's death rate is, is now a little above 2%. It had been a fraction of 1% not so long ago. France is reporting 9.6%. Spain, which is now past Italy to the number two spot, is 10%. And New York, the state of New York, were it a separate country, would now be the second most infected country in the world. 
as there are now more cases in New York than there are in Spain or Italy. The overall reported U.S. death rate is 3.4%. New York is worse, something like 4.2%. We're doing a lot better in California, but that's all relative. Our death rate based on the number of deaths versus number of cases, is running at 2.6%. We're hoping that study is in Iceland is correct, and we can divide that in two, but 1.3% is still an uncomfortably high number. And in some other bad news, it seems quite clear on studies here in California and in Italy that the authorities are understating the true death toll. The New York Times is reporting that across the U.S., even as coronavirus deaths are being recorded in terrifying numbers, many hundreds a day, the true death toll is likely much higher. Writing on the 5th of April, the Times said that more than 9,400 people with the coronavirus have been reported to have died in this country as of this weekend. But hospital officials, doctors, public health experts, and medical examiners say the official counts have failed to capture the true number of Americans dying in the pandemic. The undercount is a result of inconsistent protocols, limited resources, and a patchwork of decision-making from one state county to the next. In many rural areas, coroners say they don't have the tests they need to detect the disease. Doctors now believe that some deaths in February and early March before the virus reached epidemic levels were likely misidentified as influenza or only simply described as pneumonia. With no uniform system for reporting coronavirus deaths in the U.S. and a continued shortage of tests, some states and counties have improvised, obfuscated, and at times backtracked in counting the dead. Public health experts say that in infectious outbreaks, under typical circumstances, it takes months or years to compile data that is as accurate as possible on deaths. The reporting during an epidemic of this scale is particularly strained, and while experts say they believe that virus-related deaths have been missed, the extent is not clear. An example was provided of a man in San Gabriel, California, who was feeling unwell with a cough, body aches, fever. The next day he lost his taste and sense of smell. His wife took him to an urgent care where he was so weak he had to be pushed in with a wheelchair. Doctors prescribed antibiotics, cough syrup, and gave him a chest x-ray, but did not test for coronavirus. A week later, his wife found him dead in bed. I kept trying to get him tested from the beginning, she said. They told me no. Frustrated, the wife enlisted friends to call the CDC on her behalf, urging a post-mortem test. Then she hired a private company to conduct an autopsy, And 19 days after his death, the wife received a call from the L.A. County Department of Public Health verifying that he had tested positive. Anyway, I don't want to belabor this, but there's no question that we're missing a lot of cases, especially in the beginning of this epidemic. Even Californians with coronavirus symptoms have routinely been told simply to presume they have it and isolate at home. Obviously, if presumed coronavirus patients never know for sure if they have it, Those who later die at home may never be categorized as having had it. And statistical studies conducted in Europe, comparing the number of deaths in a given period to the same period last year, notes that there are a huge numbers of excess deaths, not all of which can be explained by COVID-19. The presumption, obviously, is that they're missing a lot there, too. Anyway, we need, we need a refresher of some good news. There, there seems to be no doubt that here in California, our sheltering-in-place uh, dictates have really 
cut down the number of cases. America's tally, as we said before the microphone right now, is at 455,000 confirmed cases. California, with 12% of the nation, should have about 55 million cases, but instead we are barely at 19. So we have roughly one-third the number of cases expected by our proportion of the population. Some might argue that the correct way to make that comparison is to look at what the U.S. was a week ago, since the numbers in California are thought to be a week later, but that's hard to say. As time goes on, this will become increasingly clear. Now, there's a lot of tips in circulation right now of how we can all best manage being stuck in our homes. And uh, I suppose I should report on an experiment conducted by Mr. McMillan as to whether it really is true that we shouldn't be flushing facial tissues down the toilet, let alone paper towels. So we did conduct an experiment of putting toilet paper, newspaper, Kleenex, and paper towels into bowls of water to see how they would break up with time. And, well, one thing's clear about a paper towel, you can stick it in water, take it out a couple days later, and still use it. So please, do not flush them down the toilet. Those so-called flushable wipes are no good. Don't do those either. Same for disinfecting wipes. Just, just don't do it. America is apparently experiencing an epidemic of not just virus, but plugged up toilets. And God knows, that's something we just don't need right now. Yeah, we're quite certain that, uh, you know, not flushing the wrong things down the toilet is good advice. A lot of the other advice that's circulating right now, a little less clear on. Some sources have recommended washing your hands with antibacterial soap. We absolutely positively dispute that. There's lots of reasons uh, that antibacterial soaps are bad for the environment. And one thing's for certain, viruses are not bacteria. Stick to regular soap. When it comes to disinfecting, you know, it's, it's hard to know where to, to, to draw the line. It's noted that Lysol on paper towels is a great disinfectant. You can also use a damp cloth that's been dipped in a mix of one-fourth cup bleach to two and one-fourth cups water. I did have to laugh the other day when, after a trip to the hardware store, and yes, we're trying to use six-foot distancing, wearing gloves. Well, there's various types of gloves you, you can use. If you've got work gloves and then take them off when you get home, that's going to give you a certain level of protection. If you've got rubber gloves, well, then sure, use them. If you've got some effective hand sanitizer, well, by all means, you know, slather your hands with it if you don't have gloves, or even if you do. As I started to say, I got in the truck uh, a few days back, and my friend whipped out what I thought was hand sanitizer. After getting my hands liberally coated with some sort of bleach solution, I voiced an objection and did the best I could to wash it all off. Anyway, we do have to continue to... Uh, exercise good common sense, uh, uh, which is more than I can say for some of the tech companies, which are, you know, of course, trying to capitalize on this uh, crisis by promoting items of dubious value. We're being told over and over again to remember not to touch your face. Well, this is absurd. We're all going to touch our face. Sooner or later, you're going to take the mask off. Sooner or later, you're going to touch your face. This bear, This needs some qualifiers. If you're at home and your hands are clean, well, you're going to touch your face, and it's okay. I mean, it's, it really is okay. 
So you don't have to worry about having to rely upon the ImmuTouch from the Slightly Robot Company, which is described as a wristband that vibrates whenever your hand nears the danger zone. Someone sent a meme showing, uh, I think it was McElhaney's Tabasco Sauce Hand Sanitizer with the tagline, We Dare You to Touch Your Face. People are stuck at home doing a lot of uh, inventory and, and spring cleaning. I had to note that the Washington Post notes that People often underestimate the number of vases they have tucked away. So haul them out, take inventory, and keep only enough to accommodate the flowers you bring into your home. Some florists will happily use your extra vases. There's a lot of advice out there on how we can boost our immune systems, most of which uh, is, let's, let's just say, dubious. Although one, one item I think I can endorse, it's noted that you should lay off the liquor You're advised to not booze your way through the coronavirus crisis because heavy drinking does deplete our immune cells. Mr. McMillan is especially disappointed to hear this. Here's a little item we reported on a couple weeks ago that we need to report on again from the March 27th issue of The Week magazine, which probably went to press uh, five days earlier, I'm guessing. There was this. UK drags feet. Facing an outcry from doctors, the British government has backtracked on its initial proposal to allow the coronavirus to spread unchecked to promote herd immunity. Authorities initially suggested most people go about their lives normally and that only those over age 70 should self-isolate. In an open letter to the government, some 200 scientists and doctors said the strategy would result in hundreds of thousands of deaths and utterly collapse the health system. Prime Minister Boris Johnson then U-turned, announcing that large events would be canceled in the coming days and schools ordered to close. In case you haven't heard, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is now in intensive care having contracted COVID-19. Some arrangements were made for power to be transferred to the, I guess, foreign secretary in the event that uh, Johnson becomes incapacitated on a ventilator, etc., or passes away. There is no system in the UK like we have in America for a, uh, for a, you know, a succession of powers. I want to keep, and if you're keeping score here in America, after Donald Trump comes Vice President Mike Pence, but after him, we find Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. And we're going to have to talk a little bit about politics in our second segment today. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm 